Hello there, space fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Supercluster Podcast. This is Robin here, here with two good friends. I know it's the end of the year, and emotions are really high right now. It's uh, Friday, November 18th. We've just had the most powerful rocket in the world launch twice. <laughs> we had uh, Falcon Heavy a few weeks ago, and at the time, Falcon Heavy was the record holder. And now the Space Launch System has launched Wednesday early morning. I'm here with my friends Patrick Stacy and Chris Esposito. They are the hosts of Orbital Takes, a really cool podcast that I've been enjoying this year. I've been wanting to have these guys on the show to just get their hot takes on what's going on in space exploration. I know these two to be very big space fans and very committed space fans. I'll say that. We will uh, go through some topics here. We'll be shooting back and forth. Welcome to the show, guys. Robin, what's up? What's it's a up, pleasure Chris? to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Welcome back to the show. It is a pleasure to be here. Honored to be on here, Robin. Thanks for having us, man. This is great. And Patrick, thank you for being on the show. Uh, we, we've been friends a little while now, and I know that you just had a baby. Not you. Your wife had a baby. <laughs> We're not. Important, yeah. important distinction. <laughs> um, so congratulations on behalf of Supercluster. You've been a loyal fan and, and, and a partner as well in these last couple of years, and we're happy to know you. And We saw that photo of you and your child. You were wearing Supercluster merch, which is pretty awesome. We love being there to greet new Earthlings when they arrive on planet Earth. So that, that is awesome. Our podcast listeners can't see us, but Patrick is wearing our ISS Pit Crew tee, the long sleeve white version. That one, people really love it. And uh, we're really proud of it. We worked on that shirt and design for almost a year. So I think congrats to the team. It was really well received. And we put a lot of heart into it. We did a black short sleeve version for the New Yorkers <laughs> in the house, <laughs> like Chris, myself. So thank you for those who have purchased our new shirt design. It's really a, a love letter to the International Space Station and all the countries and agencies that have been involved in building and maintaining it. But we're not talking about the space station today. We're talking about Artemis, the launch that would never come. I never thought we'd be here in a post-Artemis 1 launch phase First off, I'll start with you, Patrick, because you've got a baby. You probably already up in the middle of the night. Tell me about your experience watching this launch. So you, you were right. I happened to be up in the middle of the night <laughs> feeding a newborn. He was three weeks old. And yeah, I just happened to be up and saw Twitter start blowing up. And I was like, oh, man, this looks like it's actually going to happen today. So I uh, you know, popped it on. And yeah, my, my three-week-old watched the launch with me. So he's very much already a little space nerd. It was, it was epic to see it launch, a night launch in particular. You know, There was one Saturn V night launch, Apollo 17. And I think we all wish there could have been more night launches uh, of that rocket. Mm -hmm. And we were really spoiled with the, with a night launch for this one. I know probably the engineers and the folks who worked on it would have rather had a, a day launch so you could see some of the imagery a little better. But mm -hmm. I can't imagine what it was like there to see night lit up into day. The videos, you know, that not only Supercluster posted, but all the other various people that I follow on Twitter, it, it looks like, you know, it was noon yeah, when it was yeah. really past, past 1 a.m. So I'm really looking forward to getting down there for Artemis 2. I want to feel that, you know, chest cavity, you know, rumble yeah, of yeah. the SRBs. And yeah, I just like you, it, it's surreal that we're finally here in a post Artemis 1 launch. Right. And we joked on our podcast. Uh, I'm just glad we're done talking about it now. I'm glad we're <laughs> done talking about the launch and, and all right. the delays and whatnot. We can just bask in its glory. Right. Chris, where were you? So I was home. I was in Manhattan, Murray Hill. Shout out Murray Hill. But um, so for me, obviously the heartbreaking scrub. I mean, I got my heart shattered when I went down there. Like everybody else, you know, there yeah, were people yeah. that traveled from like different countries, and on that beach they found out about the scrub on the first run through. So when I got to see it online, I actually didn't mind it. Right, it got a good view, and one of the coolest things that I was noticing that there was seven hundred thousand people watching the live stream on uh, NASA YouTube. For me that really stood out. The comment section was going crazy. Everybody was so excited and the footage was incredible. I mean, how about the views of Earth? Did you guys see those or what? From Orion with the service yeah. module? Oh, yeah. so cool. And Chris, I did warn you about that first, <laughs> those first couple of launch campaigns. I tried to warn, warn him as well. <laughs> you know, I've been waiting for this launch for so long. December 15th for me marks eight years in the space program. And I started my career 
reporting on Orion and visiting that spacecraft and working in the VAB in the operations and checkout building. I used to, you know, go to Kennedy and Lockheed Martin would bring me in to the ONC when Artemis One Orion was being built and and it would be shipped up to Alabama and, you know, a few months after that. But getting to see the vehicle up close was crazy. You see it in its skeletal form. It's like an a neon green skeleton. It looks really sci-fi. They always had it, you know, levitated above the ground so workers can work under it. And I remember visiting it for like three to four years before they, you know, they encapsulate it and they put it in the fairing and, you know, it, it goes away after some point where it's only a certain amount of team members who can work on it and reporters and journalists can't visit it. But the vehicle is really sweet. Um, I think that our deep space ambitions, the Orion vehicle can really open some of those doors. And it's really exciting that it's, as of today, it's closer to the moon than it is to Earth. As of quite a few hours ago, um, we're recording at 5.30 p.m. uh, Friday Eastern time. And it seems like things are going well so far. Knock on wood. The launch was amazing. As you guys said, I was watching from home in Washington, D.C. I had Jenny Hotman and Eric Kuna on site for Supercluster, and they captured some incredible photography. Really proud of what they did. The remote pad photos that Eric Kuna got from his cameras were pretty amazing. Check those out on our website. Jenny did a video, which heart-pounding video. Check that out. And I am probably going to be joining you guys for Artemis 2. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. And you know, when uh, I was streaming in uh, Erica's ear during I-4 mission, yeah, inspiration for right. <laughs> have to have both of you guys down there. One of one of the coolest things that I thought was seeing the like the the iPhone videos of right. it and all uh, all of the people just like screaming and like, oh my god, holy shit! Yeah, like you know, just that's, see, the, best, that's the best response. People's reactions, yeah, people's yeah. Uh, organic, you know, totally unscripted reactions was was really cool. It was pretty emotional. Did you guys see John Krause's photo? Incredible. Yeah. I'm talking about and listeners yeah. know which one we're talking about. It's actually on the cover of aviation week now, yeah. which is amazing. John always takes, you know, the iconic photo. He doesn't disappoint. And what an, what an extraordinary shot. Everyone who's listening, if you haven't seen it, head over to John Krause photos on Instagram. It, it just, it's otherworldly. Uh, it really does look yeah. like, you know, that Artemis, that iconic Artemis mission image with the moon and the rocket and the, and the payload, which is How pretty amazing. How does he plan that stuff ahead of time? It's, uh, you know, like the, uh, the transit of the sun or the moon, you know, with the, the uh, rocket lifting off. It's just you know, like, I, I hate to gas incredible. John up, but the kid's a genius. <laughs> I, I was his editor. As you guys know, he worked at Supercluster for a while. We're honored for that time period that we had John shooting for us at Kennedy. He just has a gift and that gift really showed at Artemis. And, you know, he, he sees things that other people don't. And, and that being said, there's a lot of incredible photographers in the space program. And but John just get he does something different. You know, he's he's our Spielberg. If we hmm. had a Spielberg for shooting rocket launches, I would say that it is uh, it's John. He sees something else. He brings a magical element to the visual that we're witnessing. It's extraordinary. Well, you have for him. Congrats, John. I'm done gassing you up now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Falcon Heavy because we just talked about the most powerful, this most powerful rock in the world title. It's like boxing nowadays. It's just, you know, going from one person to the next. But Falcon Heavy was the most powerful beast for a while. We had three launches. We had the demo flight with the Tesla Roadster. We had Arabsat 6. We had STP, which you guys are all aware of. And then we had a couple years break of no Falcon Heavy. Chris would make fun of me that I made it up, that it's not coming. (laughs) Last time we hung out in New York City, we had a few drinks and Chris was roasting me. How the I I kept telling people everywhere that Falcon Heavy was going to indeed launch again at some point. Yeah. But I kept looking like a bullshitter. Yeah, he kept telling us that he was going to see us at the Falcon Heavy. And every time I saw him, I'll see you at the Falcon Heavy. It's not happening, Robin. Because I have, you know, I haven't been going rocket launches <laughs> recently. But I was like, you know what? I'll go for the next Falcon Heavy. And so I kept telling people, I'll see them at Falcon Heavy. Yeah. And that went on for three years straight until yeah. it became like a Mandela effect. Do we even have a Falcon Heavy to begin yeah. with? 
Yeah. From now on, like I do not say goodbye to you. I just say see you Falcon Heavy. You know, that night launch, Patrick, you mentioned uh, how incredible it is. And like some there's two camps. There's the camp that wants a night launch because it's awesome. You know, the 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 fires light up the scenery. It just looks like a giant fireball. You can actually enjoy the fire and brimstone of it all. It's mm-hmm. it's epic. It's like a movie. Mm-hmm. The daytime as a person who has to produce visuals and video mm-hmm. and photography, uh, you know, some of us prefer the daytime, mm-hmm. not noon. Noon is horrible. Really? Anytime before and afternoon. Yes. So there's pros and cons of both sides. Obviously the photographers do not like la- night launches, but if you're mm-hmm. going there to just enjoy the launch, night launches are amazing. The last Falcon heavy launch before this recent one, I didn't have a camera in my hand. I stood behind the countdown clock. And just enjoyed the night Falcon Heavy launch. And I'm sure a lot of onlookers did do that for SL. At least I hope they did. For first timers, you know, if you're heading down for a launch for the first time, put the camera down. Definitely. You want to enjoy it. You want to soak that in. And then your second time, you want to bring like 20 cameras with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Kind of like you're saying, Robin, you know, if I have yet to see a rocket launch in person, I want it to be, you know, a beast like Falcon Heavy or or SLS or something like that. But, you know, there's, uh, like we were talking about earlier, there's all these these incredibly talented photographers and it's like, I'm not going to take a better photo than than John Krause. So like, I'm just going to sit there and enjoy it. Like that's definitely my plan. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, when I started my career, you want to get as much content as possible. If you're a content creator, reporter, photographer, yes. But space fans, if you don't have to make a living selling a rocket photo, do not take the rocket photo. (laughs) Enjoy the rocket launch. Hot, Hot take. I feel like being a space content creator is almost harder than any other industry because they scrub all of our launches you know, yeah. we have to buy multiple plane tickets. We got to get hotels. I don't know. I feel like it's more complex than <laughs> just covering say, baseball. Yeah. There are two things that are very hard to cover in this world. Number one is war. Number two is space. Because the delays, the, oh my God, SLS, the delays were months. You know, Falcon, the, you know, we waited for that first Falcon Heavy for a very long time. So it's, you know, these things are very hard to cover. I think economically, I think that it's, you know, media companies don't have unlimited budgets to cover rocket launches. So, you know, if you miss it, you miss it. But I think with the amount of rocket launches happening nowadays, I think that people will get lucky more than we used to. I think, Patrick, if you went down for your first rocket launch, I don't think you'll wait a week or two or three, depending on what you pick. I think if you picked Falcon Heavy, which we do know that one's coming potentially in January. If you guys want to head down for that, I don't think that'll be scrubbed out multiple days. I think you'll go down. You might wait a day or two and that's it. Pat, remember I said I was not leaving Florida until Artemis 1 launched? I would have been yeah. there for two and a half months. You would be bankrupt <laughs> by now. <laughs> I told Pat, I go, I'm not leaving. He goes, dude, yeah. you got to leave, man. It's not <laughs> no, dude, if you don't leave, you'll end up like me because that's what happens. I went down there for one launch and I didn't leave. And then I was like, well, this is my career now. Damn. So yeah, you do not want to get trapped in the space mob. <laughs> it's absolutely necessary. One thing I wanted to talk about real quick with Falcon Heavy. If you guys noticed, we had a remote camera placed at the landing pad for the first time mm-hmm. since SpaceX started doing landings in 2015. Now, those who know me know that I've been harassing SpaceX since 2015 about putting remote cameras down at the landing pad as well as the other photographers and content creators and and other media companies have made that same request we just wanted to say thank you uh, to spacex and the communications team and the engineers that work on the landing pad everyone was of great assistance and helping us get set up there jenny hotman put down our cameras uh, for supercluster and those are some of the best photos we've ever taken as a company. And we're really proud of some, what we caught there. And I hope that SpaceX continues to do opportunities like this and opens it up to other folks too. Because I think it was a small group of people. I think they're experimenting with it, which is great. But Patrick, I would say that, and Chris was making fun of me earlier for this. I, your first launch should be Falcon Heavy because the landings of the boosters, man. Like, yes, Artemis is great. We're going back to the moon. I'm really happy about that. But seeing the boosters land 
for a first time launch, I think I would do that. Now I'm going to get like angry you- emails about how <laughs> I like us, our Falcon Heavy more. That's do you feel okay. like you uh, uh, you peak too early if you see a Falcon Heavy for to, for your first launch? Like, you no. know, does anything measure up to that? <laughs> well, here's the thing: you have Starship to look forward to after that. And like I said, Fair if enough. you go to if Fair you enough. go to Falcon Heavy, look, there's look. I, I'm pretty sure I wasn't there, but what everyone reported to me was that Artemis felt the SLS felt far more intense. Than Falcon Heavy when launching, and that is, you know, that's math. Well, what about the fog? Are we gonna, you know, count the fog <laughs> into this? Come on, let's talk about it. Do not mention that demon's name on my podcast. <laughs> I, the fog has ruined. The fog has wasted a couple thousand dollars of superclusters. Let's oh, put it that easily. way. <laughs> easily, but um. I didn't realize they were launching from Vandenberg these days. <laughs> I, realize, I don't know who brought the Vandenberg fog to Kennedy Space Center, but we will find yeah. out who's responsible for this. Yes, the fog did not help. Always a real pain. We've written articles about the fog on Supercluster. Like, that's how much pain we, we feel. No one else writes about the fog in the first person, but we do. Because we're after, a, you know, we, it's, it's painful. And guys, let me tell you. I was just telling you how eight years, I'm, I'm just wrapping eight years in the space program. Three of these years were like in fog <laughs> at some point. Like, that scares and, me, man. You know, because, you know, I, I don't know. It's, I think when you work at Kennedy year round, you see a lot more than the live stream um, does. But I was really happy that um, Falcon Heavy finally got off the ground again and that people know that the rocket exists and that I didn't mm-hmm. make it up. So I'm really <laughs> happy great. about that. And congrats to the Artemis One teams, anyone who worked on that project in any level. Mm-hmm. Um, congrats uh, on that extraordinary achievement. My close friend, Chelsea Partridge, she works on Orion and had a, a big role on the Artemis One Orion spacecraft. Congrats to my, my friends, Chelsea. I had to do a special shout out to her. I think that the public perception, let's talk about this real quick. Do you think there's going to be a little reset? I'll start with you, Pat. Like, what do you think the social media crowd, the everyday person, are there? Okay, you know, we saw what happened with Web. The the toxicity ended, and then we're in this new awe era. Do you see that happening with Artemis? I think for the next 30, 45 days, you know, certainly during the mission and, and shortly thereafter, yeah, we all are going to forget about the delays that the, the, the team experienced there. There's so many epic content that is that we have yet to see right you know we have yet to see the the earth rise from one of the selfie cams that's going to be a whole thing in and of itself when it splashes down that's going to be a a whole new set of contents you know we haven't seen sean the sheep floating around in orion yet you know that's um, surprisingly we have not got a zero g indicator shot yeah which we're used to the crowds are used to that and uh yeah so somebody please get on that thank you yeah (laughs) so so there's all this great content coming Right. And, you know, we'll be able to bask in, in the glory of that for a couple of weeks thereafter. But then, you know, when is Artemis 2 coming? That's that's my concern is that, is that you know, there, yeah. there's a significant delay between Artemis 1 and Artemis 2 and the hype is going to fizzle out. Yeah. Um, and then the questions of, you know, why are, why is, is it delayed so long? You know, is this the most efficient way to build a rocket? You know, why are we spending our money on SLS and not Starship? Those are going to, those questions are going to be drummed up again. You know, uh, uh, having known two personal friends of mine that, that work on the, the core stage and, and for Boeing, it's not fair for, to, to those people for us to keep asking these questions because it's, it's not like they came up with this, this system, if you will. Right. But, uh, you know, it's 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 the government's rocket. So there's always going to be a sense of that, of, you know, why are we doing it this way? Could mm-hmm. we be doing it better? So, uh, you know, Chris, you, Chris and I talk about how SLS is more of a, of a jobs program. You know, all 50 states are involved. You know, I've you know, heard employees that work on Orion and SLS and at NASA HQ say those words about mm-hmm. SLS and Orion, that it is yeah. a jobs program. It's yeah. a sad thing to hear. But like I said, I've heard it from bottom to top at NASA, and we, we've heard it from a lot of people who do have a smart analysis that, you know, that's yeah. what it is. And Chris, what's your take on this, man? Because, you know, I, I think that I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm, but like Patrick said, that's not going to last. Space yeah. fans especially, yeah. they, they know they're savvy. Well. Long term, I think that's part of our job, right? Like, that's why we do what we do. We want to get people excited about space. But not to be a hater, do you guys think that 
simply the time of day kind of affected how much media attention this thing got. I mean, I remember because the first launch, it was like a Saturday. I remember football just got started and I feel like all of media would have been focused on this launch. Meanwhile, this was at 1 a.m. on the East Coast. Let's let's address this because you're absolutely right. And I want to make another quick point that NASA scheduled a post launch or update press conference for 5 p.m. on Friday. That's 30 minutes before we scheduled this podcast. Now, let me tell you, if you schedule something on Friday at 5 p.m., that is a black hole of news. No one gives a shit at Friday at 5 p.m. I'm sorry to be so frank. Yeah. You almost want to bury some bad news at that point, right? Did you not watch watch the West Wing? It's a whole subplot (laughs) that they dump shit on 5 p.m. on Friday. Like, come on, guys. Like, we need more media literacy uh, around these projects. And I think that, okay, going back to the launch time, there's not much that we can I, do I about that. It. Yeah, it's a certain window, but like still. But here's the thing, you know, they'll be better at that maybe if they could get – if these rockets worked the first time the way they are supposed to, yeah. if we didn't have to send out teams to tighten bolts at the last <laughs> minute or like roll it back yeah, exactly. to the like three times, I think we would have more control yeah. over our launch cadence. And, you know, that confidence and launch, we had plenty of launch windows that were a great time for publicity. (laughs) And I'm sorry, some people are listening like, oh, publicity doesn't matter. No, but it does. No, in in the space program, engineering is 50%, public relations is 50%. The space launch system is the prime example of that. (laughs) It was lobbied into existence. Mm-hmm. Who do you think does that? Your constituency who elects an elected official who then lobbies for job programs and mm-hmm. that build rockets. And that's why we have Artemis. That is it. I would love to see like a prime time Sunday night, 8 p.m., 8.15 <laughs> launch that right. fireworks go off in separate directions. And you right. know it's on every channel. I don't know. It was 1 yeah. a.m. I had like two eyes. I had like one eye open. It wasn't – look, the moon landing didn't happen in the middle of the night. If it did – I, I don't know what would have happened, but a prime time thing is always preferable. But at this point in our technological development, just doesn't work. <laughs> and I think that when you're looking at different programs, SLS, this rocket has been developed and built over a decade or longer. And it, it, many teams, many contractors, just a village of people to build SLS and Orion, multiple agencies, multiple countries. SpaceX is building Starship themselves on a farm in Boca Chica, and they're stamping them out so they can test and blow them up. And we're getting that almost in prime time because they're doing it on a nine to five work schedule. And we're getting to see that there's live cameras all over the place because of NSF and Padre and all those guys down there. So when you're looking at the cycle of interest, People already know about SpaceX and, and, and Starship, and they're watching the live streams. More fans are being created. NASA needs to get in that sort of cycle of creating fans and making sure those fans come back. I don't think they're doing that job. I don't think they're holding on to that narrative. And I don't know. I see a lot of disjointed communication from NASA to the public. And as a person, you know, I, I have to coordinate my reporters with NASA sometimes. And lately I've been having to step in to make sure that NASA side is providing the information that we need. And I don't know, you know, I've been, like I said, it's been eight years. I'm disgruntled to some point and to some degree, but I've always had issues trying to get the information for the public from NASA. Always companies, you know, it's hit or miss, but everyone tries really hard to get their message and their ideas and their vision out there. NASA seems hell bent on not doing that. And I don't know why. And I don't know, you know, if you guys have noticed, you know, what do you, how are you guys grading NASA's communication through SLS? And then we'll talk about web real quick. Uh, Okay. Yeah. We, we can talk about web in a second. Yeah. You know, 
I went to school for journalism. Uh, I'm not a journalist by trade by any means, but you know, there's some basic things that they teach you in journalism school. And it seems like NASA sometimes ignores those things and just Thank does d- puts out whatever they want, whenever they want. You see like uh, programs like NASA social that try to do right by the fans, but then they're not allowing, you know, a lot of uh, independent pod- podcasters in, you know, I remember, you know, wasn't it Tim Dodd who had to try to many times to get his, his press credential. And the dude's got like 3 million followers on Twitter. Like, yeah, no. And let me say this real quick. Tim's a close friend of mine for a long time. And we started at the same time. And Tim has had trouble getting credentials. He's been public about this. So we're not outing him. He's been public. And NASA won't credential the guys sometimes for rocket launches. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's such an ass backwards policy. And you know what? It's not just Tim. It's your favorite. We're not going to name them, but your favorite space communicators sometimes <laughs> and space reporters at times like serious space reporters who work for what news wires or work for magazines that have existed before NASA. Literally. I know because I'm the guy who has to help these people sometimes power broke credentials for 200 year old newspapers in America. <laughs> and I don't understand where these policies are coming from. They're yeah. clearly being dictated by people's personal prejudices. You know what? I like popular science more than I like, you know, X magazine. You know, I I don't know. I think that we need to standardize a lot of this stuff. But Patrick, continue, because you were giving a good insight here about the basics of journalism. Yeah, you know, it's you, you want to reach your, your, your audiences. And when you right. have these influencers, such as Tim Dodd, who with millions of followers on Twitter, like you're all you're doing is is setting up roadblocks for them. Right. You know, you want to go out with your statements in a timely manner and not just give the same regurgitated prefab statement over and mm-hmm. over when there's intelligent people who with high definition cameras that can sometimes say, Oh, well, what you're saying is completely contradictory what I'm seeing, you know, on, on this, this camera, for example, it's a, it's, it's a shame because there's so many avenues for NASA to be able to better communicate and they just don't take advantage of them. It seems like 100%. Yeah. Chris, what's your take on this? I totally agree with that. I mean, look, let's, let me just say this. I would take a bullet for NASA, right? I, let me set that out there, a flesh wound. But having said that, (laughs) I started, doing what I'm doing because NASA clearly was not communicating with me effectively, at least, yeah. right? That's why I started doing what I'm doing. But I mean, yeah, I I have nothing else to say about that. You guys know how I feel about this topic. I, uh, yeah, I'm definitely one of those uh, guys on the list that the invite misses the mailbox sometimes. You know, <laughs> you know, totally. And you guys brought up NASA Social. I want to say that separately from what we're talking about here, NASA Social has been an incredible and and great program that has helped a lot of people break into space. I'm one of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very different eight years ago. Very, very different. The media and the social were together in one group back then. And you were able to learn how to be a journalist through the social program. And there wasn't many applicants back then. So some of us got chosen more than once, including myself. And it helped us build a journalism career and getting you yourself inside the gate at Kennedy is huge for networking and learning and getting to know people and increasing your own knowledge of the space program. Being on the ground is, you know, there's no substitute for that. So I want to, you know, shout out NASA Social for continuing to do that. And even though the programs change, I think the spirit of it is still alive. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are having an eye opening experience going to these socials and going to these rocket launches. So I want to Mm -hmm. shout out the team who runs the social. They are doing an amazing job. If I was going to criticize anything about social, it would be at the leadership level. And with NASA, I would say that we need to provide funding for that program to get more diverse attendees. I hate to say it, but the way that the program is structured, plus what you guys said earlier about delays and scrubs, it's virtually, I mean, Doing coverage for space is expensive. We know this. Imagine a, a, a person f- from NASA Social, a university student, or you know, someone from the inner city, or someone who doesn't come from means wanting to experience that, but can't because of X amount of delays and the flight, the round trip ticket to Florida, and the hotels. And we need to find a way to stem that. You guys get what I'm saying? I feel like totally. There's got to be a way to bridge that. And I know it's hard for NASA 
for especially for every social to just hand out grants or hand out money for people to, you know, I feel like there should be a middleman or maybe NASA should work directly with institutions like universities or, you know, community mm-hmm. organizations. They can handle that and then they can funnel the social attendees through Na- like there's got to be a way to do it. But I if I was going to improve one thing about NASA social is let's find a way to get a diverse group of people down there from different economic means because mm-hmm. right now the way the system is set up and the way rocket launches are set up, it does, you know, limit the crowd to people who have the time and money to do it, right? It's interesting you say that, Robin. I was selected for a NASA social. I think I mentioned this to you before. Mm. It was one of the very first ones, maybe 2011 or 2012. I was making 29 grand a year working in the NFL, and I was not able to go to this rocket launch because we were hosting a home playoff game uh, wow. that same weekend. And there was the, the, there would have been no way from it ended up getting scrubbed, I think, and pushed a couple of days later anyway. But there would have been literally no way for for me to do mm. that. And yeah. you know, now I'm fortunate enough to to not be making 29 grand a year anymore. Yeah. No, ex- um, that's exactly but, what I mean. Like, yeah. it's it is how much you make, and that does determine if you can actually go to these rocket launches. Chris, give me your take here because you've already been down for a launch. Am I wrong to say that that shit's expensive? Yeah, thousands. It's, <laughs> it's a it's, lot. It's yeah. like, it's, and then you, you know? got to factor in, you know, the drinks at the Ricky uh, Ricky Tiki Tiki Bar, and yeah. then uh, <laughs> your food and your suntan lotion, fifteen dollars yeah. right there. I mean, yeah. you got hotel expenses, whatever you order to the room. But yeah, other than that, it's expensive, and you're there for a long time, and it's and, hot, man. It is yeah. hot. You're sweating bullets out there. And that's another thing: the gas that you use, like a rental car, all that. Yeah, yeah, and like everything in Florida is twenty minutes away. Everything or yeah. more. 20 minutes or more. So that's one one thing that I'd like to change. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about web. I think the web team has done a really great job of just getting the world excited about web images. Yes. And what a great example of the way to do that. And, you know, they do have the advantage. They have the most amazing photos ever taken in yeah. the history of mankind to help. But I Can do we just quick- talk quickly about yeah. the, the the fumbling of the first images, though? Oh, yes. 100%. And, yes. and I'm I'm certain that it wasn't the web team that, no. that fumbled this because it seems no. like, you know, no, it's uh, the government. Court, how can you say no when the president wants to dunk on you and yeah. and release the the first image? That's good for everybody, but yeah. just that whole that whole thing was just a fiasco. But then the following day, where they released the rest of them, that was yeah. clearly well planned out. Everyone yeah. was excited for it. Just such a missed opportunity there, in my opinion. The music, 100%. the music, yeah. the <laughs> waiting the music. Well, I don't yeah. know what was worse, the waiting music for like 45 minutes to two hours to 10 years that we were waiting or <laughs> the smart board projection of the first image behind him. I just, it was like, like on a smart board. For me, <laughs> I didn't want my my web images, you know, my experience tainted by the White House. And it was. Yeah. So for me, it was, yeah, like, I was devastated. Uh, and here's yeah. another thing. It like it screwed up my schedule <laughs> because like, you know, we have a. A production schedule, editorial, photography, all the things that we have to do. And the White House doing that screwed up our schedule at Supercluster and I couldn't go to Goddard. Wow. So like that pissed me off because I wanted <laughs> to go to Goddard and hang out with everyone and be part of the party. But because of like, well, what's more important? We actually have to publish and get the story to the public. You have to, look, one thing that Supercluster has the advantage, we don't have ads on our website. And we could just put the photos on a web pages, full blast, you know, edge to edge, top to bottom. We can put a full res image on our website or on a page and you can just enjoy every little morsel of it. So we wanted to do that. We needed to get the art in, get the photos in and make sure that we're publishing, getting on social media, getting like the need to cover the mission shifted. And I couldn't be there in person, which, you know, I'm. A lot of my friends were there, so I was there vicariously, and I'm really happy for everyone involved in that mission. And it's exciting to see what's coming. It's like almost oh, yeah. every week they have a new image for us, which is really <laughs> Love amazing. It. Love and, it. Um, Love it. That keeps the content rolling for all of us, which is really great. Yeah, we've been geeking out about these new images almost every week on our right. episodes. Because right. every time we record, there's a new image Something that new. is like mind-blowing. Yeah. Right. They dropped an image during like the Artemis hoopla. So we still need to like talk about that. Find Swapna Krishna on TikTok and Instagram. She's 
did a really cool video about it. Speaking of web, today NASA released a study that they did about James Webb because there's been a lot of controversy about this guy mm-hmm. and how you know he was homophobic. He led a a witch hunt for gays in, in the 60s and 70s. I We've heard a lot of controversy about this, but we've never had any hard facts. So NASA internally did an investigation. They went through 50,000 documents. They found no evidence that James Webb actually did that. Wow. But here's my thing. NASA investigated themselves. Mm. <laughs> so it's like, all right, great. Um, they didn't find anything. <laughs> they didn't find anything. <laughs> Nothing to see uh, here. So, yeah. 50,000 pages, NASA. I don't know. So I'm not casting doubt. Oh, trust people. us. Trust like, us. We did it. Yeah. yeah so um, there's been a lot of you know conversations about this and a lot of written about it in various journals and media and science magazines. And these people are legit people. So I don't think they just fabricated all of this. So when NASA comes out and says, oh, we didn't find anything in 50,000 pages, I think we're going to need a third party to to look at that. So, you know, we're going to look more into it. We, Supercluster, might do a deep dive into the topic once we can, you know, gather more information and, you know, talk to the web team ourselves and, and see what's up there. And any last thoughts on web? I have one more topic for us. It's our favorite topic. Um, I, you know, I, I would just say for web, they, uh, they're most mind-blowing images ever. It's, it, it gets the everyday person excited. Uh, yes. People that I talk to that aren't space nerds, that, but maybe their space interest is you know, greater than zero, if you will, but they're right. not going to be consuming the same types of space media that, that we do. Right. They bring it up to me. They're like, oh my God, the, the pillars of creation. Holy shit. That was an amazing image. That photo um, was I mean, milestone. Yeah, I mean, image. like that—that wow. that is one that we all have seen that one from Hubble because it's been around for so long. And right. just to be able to uh, update it, if you will, Blu-ray version, the 4K yeah. Blu-ray version. Okay. Yeah, exactly. A, yeah. Um, that's yeah. that's why I like those types of topics that bleed into the mainstream and get the the whole world excited. Hubble has always been one of those things that everyday people who don't give a shit about space know about. Yeah. And James Webb is becoming. Not the person. The web test telescope is becoming that thing that everyday people talk about. And it's really, really amazing to hear that that is the case for you as well, Patrick. Uh, Chris, last thought on web. Me and Pat are JWST hype men. So, yeah, we hype it up every week, you know, tune into orbital takes and we talk about every image on Wednesday. That's amazing. We're, we're better hype men than uh, Bill Nelson was. That's for sure. <laughs> you take a grain of sand. You take a grain of sand. Yeah, we don't. We'll be the before, hype man, Bill. Before we close out the show, I want to make sure that our listeners can find your show. How, how do we do that? Yeah. So first off, thank you so much for having us on. You know, we always love chopping up about space any time of the day. But yeah, you can find us online. It's called Orbital Takes. It's a weekly space podcast. Me and Pat are two space content creators that became friends over the internet across the country. So now every Wednesday we hop on and we talk about space flight, astronomy, and we deliver hot orbital takes. And it's really just a chance for us to vent about space every week and get people excited about the universe and our existence And uh, yeah, we really just want to build a crew of like-minded individuals who love space and science. You don't necessarily need to be a uh, rocket scientist to really understand what we're talking about. Did I miss anything, Pat, or is that pretty much uh, sums it up? Yeah, that's pretty good. Robin, you have jokingly and lovingly called us the odd couple of of space before. And I I think, you know, we each bring something to the table that plays really well off the other. Uh, Chris is clearly the, the brains and the host behind it. And I'm like the nerdy color guy. Uh, that provides you know, some, some color analysis, if think, you will. I think yeah, you he, guys came up with something really awesome. I, I mean, I don't look. Uh, I've been upfront about this. I don't listen to anyone's podcasts, but I really enjoy. <laughs> I do enjoy clips of yours when I can, and I, I know you both. And I think that the the pair of you just provide such a good show. Thank you for being on our show and providing some Hell color yeah. here yeah. and some flavor here and your takes here. I think that there's a really nice community that we've all built here and we're all part of this one larger community, which is really great. And I hope that Chris and I can be there when Patrick comes down for his first yes. rock launch and we can all hang out and meet some other folks who are down there. So let's talk about this last topic because it, 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 this is the one that like they'll kick Chris and I out of the bar for getting too loud about. It's UAPs, baby. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> Recently, NASA put together 
a crew of researchers, scientists. I think there's one space journalist on there, Nadia Drake. She's an incredible space journalist mm-hmm. uh, for National Geographic. Hey, this crew, now not to talk shit, but I think they only got like $100,000 or something. I, they've got like very little money. They've got seven months to analyze some data for NASA. Listen, you know why NASA did this? Because it, the public put, forced NASA's hand to get involved in the UAP study. After Chris, uh, Chris and Pat, like what? You know, beyond, you know, you guys can comment on the NASA, the stu- the NASA group, but where are we right now with UAPs? Are, is the public losing interest? Are we still into this? What's going on? Yeah, it's been a while since the UAP report dropped, and uh, right. we haven't got many videos. Jeremy Corbell has been kind of quiet recently. He has been quiet. Right? Yeah. And uh, I feel like he's due for another drop soon here to get the people going about something, but I, I just feel like we're at a standstill right now, and we need some new footage, or we need somebody like Avi Loeb to come forward again and just you know, get the topic back in the news. I mean, unfortunately, like yeah. this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of spending my entire life obsessed with this one topic to just never find out an answer by the time I'm like 80 and I'm on my deathbed. If I make it to that, <laughs> but this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of just talking about the same thing for the next like 10 years and we don't get any further. We need like another case like the Nimitz to just deep dive mm-hmm. in and like start bringing more credible evidence like that and, and until we get more stories like that and like official data unfortunately i think we're stuck with what we got what do you think pat yeah patrick yeah. you're the normal person here what do you think i have a uh, signed copy of the sport model from bob lazar he made it out to me personally oh shit but you know that being said i really defer to chris on this stuff he <laughs> he he dives deeper into it than i do it's yeah. so interesting to to me there's clearly something that we don't understand and i don't think right. it's going down a rabbit hole at all i think there's there's going to be something revealed that is going to blow our minds you know you, if you watch the bob lazar documentary bob lazar in area 51 it's easy to you know at, at the surface to be like oh this is crazy but the more you you really look into it, the more there's 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 questions raised, and then there's all these legitimate people who are now investing in it too. I think the the fact that you know you have somebody like Avi Loeb, a, a well respected Harvard professor who who says this stuff, and you have you know these these reporters for for Congress who are are looking into it. You know, senators are bringing this up now. Yeah, I would have never thought that would be possible. You know, ten fifteen years ago. Yeah, think about this. Like something's going on in our universe, Robin, right? Like we're looking at the JWST and we're looking at a couple hundred million years after the Big Bang and like we're, we're seeing galaxies and we're like, what the hell is going on here, right? So I feel like we just don't have a full understanding of our universe yet. And these UAPs have something to do with space and time that we may never figure out. So I hope we do. You know, the more we look at these photos, it's harder and harder to believe that we're alone. It's, yeah. it's really hard. You're looking at these images and you're just, you're, there's just compounded galaxies. There's a, a little speck of light and that's a pound of galaxy. You're just, what? It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to believe. Imagine being on a small island. And then you see a civilization in the, you know, it's just hard to believe mm-hmm. that we're alone. And, you know, whatever the UAPs may be, there's clearly an interest from the government, from NASA, from the Air Force, from reporters, from scientists to look into this. You brought up Avi Loeb. He's working really hard and he's still out there making a lot of noise about a new interstellar object that's been written about that uh, supposedly crashed in the ocean in the Pacific. So I, I think that. That conversation is continually happening. I think that I, I really need to always say that the scientific community is always at odds with itself <laughs> because you'll have a guy who is, he's the, you know, a big wig at Harvard, astronomy, he's a scientist. And those are the people we're supposed to believe, right? Those are the people we're supposed to give credibility to. Those are the people we're supposed to take seriously. That's what academia tells us. If we if we're told by academia not to take him seriously at all, then who in academia are we supposed to take seriously? That's the problem. That confuses me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because don't tell me to act one way, then tell me to act another way when someone has a theory that you don't like. Yeah. Like I think there's a a battle happening in the scientific and academic community that needs to be resolved before the public can have a clear discourse with that community. 
And that's where I'm at right now. It's, it, you know, it's interesting you say that. We talked about Carl Sagan last week on our episode for Sagan Day. I feel like Carl, you know, in a lot of ways is, is very similar to that, not in the UAP space necessarily, but he was one of those people that was like, hey, I'm going to go outside the box and, and communicate this with the general public. Right. And he was ostracized by his colleagues for many years. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, if you don't communicate with with the public, you're right. almost not taken as, as seriously. So I think right. that there's going to be some kind of watershed moment that right. is going to be that, hey, the, all these people that we thought, you know, the people like Avi Loeb, that a lot of people thought, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's wrong with this guy? This mm-hmm. guy's crazy. There's going to be a watershed moment where everyone's going to be like, oh, shit, he was actually right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think coming back to, I think the public should learn more about SETI work. Learn more about the UAP study. Mm. I think at Supercluster, we are trying really hard to write stories about SETI. And we are covering Artemis. We're covering Starlink. We're covering all the rocket launches. We cover all the things you got. We wrote about Babylon 5 last couple weeks ago. But we are covering SETI. And I, I hope that people are getting a new understanding of what SETI is. We published an article this week with the headline, Would Global Conflict Follow First Contact? Now, the conversation of what happens after we have that first signal detection that everyone knows about, or we find an object like Avi thinks we're going to, what happens next? What happens in this geopolitical climate? You know, we're at odds with Russia, we're at odds with China. All of these countries have SETI capabilities. China could detect a signal and not share it with us. Russia could detect a signal and not share it with us. The US could detect a signal and not share it with China or not share it with Russia. There's a lot of murky areas that this detection can go. And there's conversations and debates happening about that outcome between different researchers and scientists. So please check out that article on our website. Shoot us an email if you have a comment about the situation. I know there's going to be a continuing debate about how humanity reacts after first contact or how we handle that message internally. So uh, it's an interesting topic. And I think that it's one that will continue to follow regardless of if there's UAP news. I think we're actually working on another patch. Yeah. We, our first UAP mission patch sold the gimbal, out. right? The gimbal, right. Mm-hmm. And it sold out really quickly. And we wanted to keep that one special and limited, so we didn't do a second print. So we decided to make another UAP patch. So that'll be coming in a few weeks. Um, a little quick note. These two guys buy our, our stuff. I was going to so say, yeah, you, we'll go head to head with merch. anybody. You go to our closets, it's like half the, <laughs> half the website there. <laughs> yeah. so, um, I appreciate everyone who purchases purchases Supercluster stuff. It's not your typical space merch. We do work really, really hard to create original designs for the merch. And these mission patches sometimes take months and weeks. And I think Chris is one of the few people that owns the Supercluster Space Jam shirt. Oh, that's so far. We yeah. almost got sued out of existence for that one, I think. I don't know. Not really. But they did... I don't remember what happened, but I remember we had to pull it like yeah. a couple Still, days too. later. I ordered it. That's what I'm saying. I got yeah. the link and I ordered it immediately and it was gone yeah. like within so three days. For those who I, don't know, I it was one up too. Oh, you got <laughs> yeah. it was Supercluster written in the Space Jam logo from Fire. the original f- film. And it was, it was one of our first ideas for merch when we built Supercluster and we loved it. And we always yeah. knew we might have a problem. With that. Like Space Jam hit you up? I don't know what happened. We, it was it was during a busy time. We were probably covering Starship or something. But I do remember that we had to pull it, or it got. Are you getting an email from Space Jam? <laughs> the brand Space Jam. It's like LeBron <laughs> on an email, or, or Michael Jordan or somebody. But yeah, we we had to pull it. But we have plenty of other space merch that we love, and we appreciate everyone. We don't sell ads on our website. We really do sustain by selling our mission patches and, and things like that. And just by having people listen to the podcast and follow us on social media. So please do that. We don't know if our Twitter account will be around <laughs> when you're listening to this <laughs> or in the future. I Yeah, I don't, I don't know how it looked. I don't even know what to say about this whole Twitter Elon situation. I'll say this. Elon and his companies are always near fail or near, near death or near crashing forever. And he always pulls it out of the mud. 
I don't have an opinion on what's going on on Twitter because I don't really I, I hardly use Twitter my account anymore. I retweet space stuff and you know our our supercluster account we use it sparingly to share important missions and our photos. But I really truly have no I've lost the thread of the narrative of what's happening with Elon and Twitter. So uh, if you're mad at me for knowing Elon or something, I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, I, I know that some of my space friends are like getting shit from their family members and friends just for working in space. Yeah. So but on behalf of space exploration, we are sorry that one of our billionaire monsters got yeah. loose and ran into Silicon Valley and started eating everything. We apologize. <laughs> Send him back. And uh, we'll send him to Mars. I don't yeah, know. He's going to Mars soon. We're going to yeah. Mars soon. So we'll take care of that. And Elon, if you're listening, web apps are hard. We know here at Supercluster, we have an astronaut database. <laughs> we have a launch <laughs> tracker that we've lost control of because there's 20 missions a week now. And when we built the tracker, there was like one mission every two weeks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we know how hard it is to run an app. We're running three apps now. Everyone has heard me say that the Chinese station tracker is coming online in a matter of days or weeks. And it is not online, as you guys know, because mm-hmm. it is really hard to code these things, really hard to build. We're working really hard. The Chinese station tracker will be live soon. I promise. I'm not lying. These things are hard. But as always, we are going to stay focused on the things that we can't do in space exploration, like get to Mars and other things. But that's my hot take our friends from the orbital takes here. Patrick, thank you for being on the show. Chris, thank you for being on the show. If you're a listener of the Supercluster podcast and how casual we are here, then you'll love these guys show. And Patrick actually comes prepared with information and history. Unlike me and Chris, who, who uh, have just banter and UFO shit and conspiracies to offer. Yes, please. If you're listening to this podcast, go and subscribe to orbital takes and space with spo do you uh, chris are you still doing that yeah show? yeah yeah it's coming okay. back i took like a 10 month break i wanted to uh yeah <laughs> a ten month break a little 10 wow. month break you never heard nobody but uh no i wanted yeah. to i wanted to yeah. get this other podcast going with pat and i wanted to co-host and you know we're gonna be bringing on guests in the future you gotta definitely stop by the show next time you're available and uh yeah the space with spo show the space with spo show. show we'll space. be back and it will be great. All right. Season two is coming. Don't you worry. I'm going to put it out before the end of the year. It's like Sobrano season six. We waited two and a half years for it. Yeah, you guys will get it. You know what I mean? I'm just hyping it up a little bit. I'm hyping it up a little bit. <laughs> Thank you it so much, a, guys. <clears throat> Thanks, Robin. Appreciate the time. For our listeners, we'll be tracking many launches. As I said, I think follow Jenny Hotman on Twitter. Download the Supercluster app and uh, you know keep in tune with everything happening in orbit. Hopefully, we'll have these guys back on the show in the new year. I know we we always start the new year strong. We're going to have a slew of guests and consider this an invite to have the, both of these guys back. Yeah, thanks so much, Falcon Robin. Heavy. We after Falcon Heavy. Uh, <laughs> always a pleasure, my man. So much fun. Thank you, guys.